Hi everybody and welcome to the Communication Coach podcast where I will be bringing you the world of hostage and crisis negotiation into everyday communication. I'm your host, Nikki Perfect. Hi everybody, it's Nikki, the communication coach here and welcome to episode 8 of my podcast. You're very welcome and I hope you're all having a good week, whatever you're doing here in Bedford. It's a Tuesday and this week already I have been talking to leaders about communication and the difference that communication makes in leadership and how when you are talking to people or even having an interaction, whether it's email or text message, you are selling yourself and people are getting an impression of you. And we talk about first impressions a lot and how it's important to make that first impression. And I want to take that one step further and look at first impressions every day. Because every day, every interaction that you have, the first time you meet somebody who you already know is a first impression for the day. And how your relationship will go during the day will depend on that first interaction, that first impression, that initial contact that you're having with that person today. So, for example, if you live with somebody and you wake up and that other person doesn't wake up in a particularly good mood and you end up having a heated conversation, that is your first impression of them for that day, and they will carry that around with them for the rest of the day. There is a theory called Batari's Box, which is my attitude affects my behavior, affects your attitude, affects your behavior. And you can see this when you look at people that are interacting with each other. So when we have that first impression, don't underestimate how you are going to impact somebody else's day, especially in intimate relationships or people that you love and care about and that you live with. And your children, if you have a frustrating morning with your child, it sets you up for the day. And that interaction can continue into other conversations. It might just form the moaning situation where you go to work and you moan all morning about how your child has behaved. And, or it might continue throughout the day. And when you pick them up, the first thing you say to them is, I hope you're going to be better behaved this afternoon than you were this morning. Chances are with a child, they've probably already forgotten about it, to be honest. And it's only us adults that like to carry the emotion around with us all day. The first impressions are important. So if you are a leader, whether you're a leader of an organization, whether you're a leader at school, a teacher, you're the leader of your family, whether you run a scouts, a cub group, a guy group, whatever it is, whatever you lead in, here are some tips to help you in leadership through communication. Now, you will know yourselves who you find to be a good leader. You can look at people's speeches from across the world, all the way from history with Churchill and Hitler in the World Wars, all the way up to now with inspirational people sharing their stories across YouTube, Facebook and all the other social medias. And then you have other people in communication. If you look at Donald Trump, I'm not going to go into politics at all, but if you look at his communication, he's a very combative listener and communicator and sometimes his words can cause offense to people especially depending on their values and beliefs so we're going to cover five points today around communication in leadership we're going to cover that people want to be heard we'll talk about that more we'll talk about values and beliefs it seems to come up in every conversation i have because it does underpin so very much of our lives we're going to talk about cognitive bias and that's your cognitive bias and how you automatically put people in a box. Teachers, beware of this especially. And I'll give you some examples around my own personal experience from teaching. And also we're going to talk about listening and something called the disappointment cycle, which you might know as the grief cycle. 
So let's start straight away. So we all have our own ego. And it's interesting. I'm just learning a bit more about the ego at the moment. I'm reading some books around I and mine and how we make ourselves very important and how we often come at things from our own point of view. You'll have heard me say on other podcasts, you know, it's all about you and that you come at everything from your point of view. Well, everybody else comes at everything from their point of view, which is very interesting when your point of view doesn't match and you'll get resistance. Now, most people want to be heard. Whatever size organization you have, most people want to be heard because they want to feel valued. It's a, if you look at your own life and you look at the people around you, when somebody gives you the praise or listens to what you have to say or spends some time in the moment with you and you believe that you are heard, it makes a difference. It makes you feel better. And when you feel that you have been listened to and your voice has been heard, you feel valued. And when you feel valued, whether you like the decision that is made or not, you can walk away with it and kind of have a better understanding of it. So what I mean by that is that if you are able to manage people's expectations, especially that if you are implementing some sort of change and you give them a voice around that change. Now, it might be that the change is going to have to be made for whatever reasons. Let's look at the um, public services at the moment. You know, there are lots of change going on in the public services because there is no money. And there are forums around where people don't feel that they are heard. And it causes a tension. It causes a rift because people don't feel valued. So if you are a good leader, listen to your people and hear what they have to say. Now, some of them will come up with some amazing ideas that they have been harboring for ages, haven't had the confidence or the voice to be heard because perhaps you work in a autocratic organization whereby there is a manager who what they say goes and you feel that you don't have the right to be heard. Now, if you are a leader, you'll see that the best leaders involve consultation around their people. And not only do they involve consultation around their people, but they trust their people to make decisions at a particular level. And they have very clear mission statements and they have very clear value organizational statements around what they expect of people. But they encourage innovation. They encourage people to step out, to step forward and say, you know what, I have an idea which I think will work. And they're uh, ex uh, accessible. Oh, I have problems there saying that word. But they are there for people to come and talk to them and to share their ideas without fear of criticism or fear of, you know what, I'm not actually going to listen to you or what you have to say. So value your people, listen to what they have to say and give them a voice. And I think you'd probably be surprised at how many great ideas there are out there. The second one is what are your values and what are the values of your organization? What are the values of the group and what are the values of the individual? Because if they don't match, you are probably going to get a rub of some sort. So, for example, I have very strong values because I'm brought up in the UK. I've worked in law enforcement for 30 years. I have, I have pretty strong values ar around law enforcement and rights and wrongs. My personal values are, you know, I love to get up in the morning and see a sunrise. I love to live in the country. I love to be healthy. I love to be fit. I love to coach. I love to make a difference. They're my personal values. My family is very important to me. 
So if I am working for somebody and my values are compromised in line with the organisational values, then I am likely to push back and not be very happy in my work. And if I'm not very happy in my work, I'm not really going to give you 100%. Now, they've done some surveys recently with organisations around what drives people to work hard, to turn up, to show up, to do their best. And it's not about money you know that money is the obvious one but it's not about money for a lot of people it is job satisfaction it's enjoying the work it's enjoying the environment it's having that voice it's feeling that they are heard and feeling that they are valued but also a lot of the time their own values fit in with the organizational value and when they're aligned and people feel that they're working towards their purpose then they are more likely to show up in a good way and give everything they've got to that organization. Now, you can say the same in like a voluntary organization. For, for example, scouts. Uh, I do a little bit of help around scouting and I'm learning all the time, especially from I don't have a lot of experience of working with younger boys. I have experience of girls and boys are different. They are different and it's interesting to watch them behave. But they have the same emotions and the same wants and the same needs and the same values. Even at that young age, they already have their own values which have been given to them in a variety of forms from their parents and from school, from social media. And as they start to get older, also from their experiences and friends. And when they are working in line with their values or they understand what the mission is that they have to do or the game or the activity is around their values they're much more active in participating and you and you see that and it's quite interesting to observe so how do you interact your values as a leader into others and are you aware of their values and a way of finding out what other people's values are is to listen to what they have to say now listen is number four on here but i'm going to switch it up now to number three because it seems to fit better there so when you listen to your people or to your colleagues or to your friends or to whatever group you're leading people will tell you what their values are without even realizing it and you have to listen to you have to that's a terrible use of words there. It would be good for you to listen to words like I want to, I need, I like to. When people use those words, they are talking about values. Now, I need to doesn't necessarily fit with their own values, but there's something in there that is motivating them to do that, whatever it is. So as a leader, if you listen and you ask the question about, you know, what do you love to do? What did you do at the weekend? What do you do in your spare time? How do you spend your free time? People are likely to spend their valuable time doing things that they love and, and their values and beliefs. So take time out to listen. I mean really listen. You know, when someone comes and if you work in an organization, in an organization and they knock on your door and you are writing an email and they come in and they would like to talk to you and they say, hey, can I just have a chat? And you say, yes. If you carry on typing and say these words, go ahead, I'm listening, you're not listening. Uh, you are typing an email and you're focusing on two things and not giving that person the time and the attention that they deserve and taking them back to number one, which is feeling valued. So we all do it. We're all guilty of this. You know, when your phone rings in your pocket and you're talking to somebody, this is a bit of a bugbear of mine, I have to admit, because it's habit. We've got into these habits that we are driven by mobile life now. 
So whenever you hear the ping or the vibrate of your mobile phone, you automatically reach for it and look at it. And you see this all the time in conversation where people are having a conversation with somebody, their phone rings, they get it out, they look at it and they say, do you mind if I get this because it's really important? Do you mind if I get this because it's really important? So automatically you are saying to the other person, you're not as, as important as the other person on the end of this phone. Now you probably don't even realize you're doing that. And I can think of a million times that that's happened to me. Okay, a million times might be a slight exaggeration. But I can think of quite a lot of times that that's happened to me. And I bet you can if you think about it too. And I know that I've done it. I know that I've been having a conversation with somebody that my phone has rung and I've gone, oh, I really need to get that. It's really important. So think about the words that you use. Think about your actions. If you're having a conversation with somebody and you are expecting a really important phone call, say to them, of course, I've got time for you. I am expecting a phone call. Do you mind if when the phone rings, I, I take the call? Or can you come back and see me shortly after I've had the call? So you manage the expectations. Don't be afraid of having those honest conversations. Because what happens if you don't have the honest conversations is that then something happens and they feel less important. They don't feel like they've been listened to. I remember going to see uh, occupational health when I was working in 2014. It had been a very stressful year. I went to see occupational health and it was great. I enjoyed the hour of being listened to. What happened at the end didn't mar my experience. That's an over-exaggeration, but I noticed it. The lady looked at the clock above my head, which was clearly to tell her the time, I believe, and to look at when the hour was up because we had an hour's conversation and I totally understand that when you're having a session whether it's coaching counseling therapy whatever it is it's generally an hour and so people keep an eye on the time because everybody's busy and we all have other things to do but in that moment in that moment that she looked at the clock I felt devalued I felt wow this has just been an hour of conversation now if she had said to me we have an hour, there is a clock above your head, please forgive me if I just glance up at it, because I don't have a watch on my wrist, I don't want to look at it, if, if I look up it's because I'm just checking the time, because I know we only have an hour, and I would have got that, and I wouldn't have felt during it, wow she's looked at the clock, she hasn't been listening to what I've been saying, or she has been listening to what I've been saying, but she's looked at the clock, so maybe that's just me, I get that, but I would much rather somebody said to me, you know what, I'll make time for you in a bit or I'm expecting an important phone call. The other thing we've got into the habit of doing it, and it is a habit because we never used to do this before mobile phones and we've created the habit ourselves, is if it vibrates or it pings or if you have an Apple Watch and then it vibrates on your, your wrist as well, you look at it. It's an automatic process, automatic process. And we're quite, I wouldn't go as far as to say addictive, but maybe you are. But I, I would say we've definitely got now bad habits of not being in the moment with people, of being sidetracked very easily by our phones when we're having conversations with other people. So I would encourage you to listen. Listen to your staff, listen to your cubs, listen to your scouts, listen to your gang, whoever it is, listen to them and don't be distracted in that moment. Because if somebody really needs you, they will get hold of you. They really will. If you're in a meeting and somebody needs you, they'll come in and get you or they'll phone you and they'll keep phoning you and you'll think, actually, that's not right. I need to take this call. 
So think about how you manage your conversations with people and what distractions do you have? Do you actually listen? Do you give people a good listening to? Or are you distracted by your mobile devices, by email or by other outside influences? And again, that will stem right back to number one of people want to be heard and people want to be valued and also into their values. Because if you are not valuing somebody and they have a belief or a value around feeling important and feeling respected, then you already create yourself a barrier to further communication with them. And then lastly, the change cycle. Now, some of you will know this as the grief cycle around a sort of five step process we go when we get disappointment, bad news, or that there is a big change coming that we're not comfortable with because we don't want to change. And a lot of us don't want to don't want to change. And a lot of us don't want people around us to change either. And, and that's why it's really difficult sometimes when you are looking to get better at something yourself. So, for example, if you're looking to lose weight or get fit or be promoted or stop drinking, your friends will say that they're going to help, but then they won't be able to help themselves and they will bring you back down. They will stop you from achieving or try and stop you from achieving, not because they're deliberately sabotaging you, not because they're really jealous or aware of their jealous emotion, but because they like you just the way you are. And if you change, it might mean they have to change and they don't want to necessarily. So think about that. And you can see people go through the change cycle or the disappointment cycle in a variety of quickness. So I always say the greater the loss or the greater the disappointment or the greater the change, the longer it is to transition through the cycle. Now we are human beings and we don't necessarily follow cycles. But what we can see is a pattern of behavior at certain times. So for example, and I'll go through this briefly. So for example, last Christmas, Meg, as most of you know, Meg is 10 now, she's 11 in a few weeks time. She wanted to watch a film on Christmas Day. And as you know, Christmas Day disappears in a really quick time frame. It's over before it's begun. The adults are all sitting around chatting. And before you know it, it's actually time for bed. And I said, I'm really sorry, Meg. Uh, we're not going to be able to watch the film. So immediately, I am hit by shock and disbelief. Immediately. What do you mean we can't watch the film? You promised. You said we could watch the film. I said, I'm really sorry. Can't watch the film because it's a lot later than I thought it was going to be for us to sit down and watch the film. Okay, then we go into anger. So now she's pretty angry at me, and she's like, you promised, you promised me that we could watch the film. I said, I'm really sorry, we can't watch the film, it's too late. So then we go into bargaining, and we get the, how about just half an hour, Nick? Can we just watch half an hour of the film? I said, I'm really sorry, Meg, it's so late now. It is time for bed. Then we get the depression. So the bottom lip will come out, maybe a bit of a wobbly chin. Won't make eye contact with me. Looks away, is upset. I can see she's upset. And then finally we'll get acceptance, which is that we'll go to bed. And, and yeah, we might be muttering under our breath. And I looked at this around myself as well. I remember going for promotion and not getting promotion. And first of all, I was in shock denial. How can that possibly be? I am the most suited person for the job. How can they not see my potential and how great I am? I am saying that with a smile on my face. You know, sometimes we'll even go into blamer around that and blame the people that are sitting on the panel or reading the form and we don't accept the responsibility. And we use words like you make me feel rather than saying I feel. 
and driving that emotion towards somebody else. Then I have the anger and, and frustration around, you know, I've worked so hard, I've done this, I do all this, I do the extra hours, I don't feel valued, I don't feel validated. Then we go into the bargaining around, okay, well, if they want more from me, they'll have to give me an incentive because I'm just not interested anymore. Then we get the depression, which is, I'm not even going to go to work, which I do go to work, by the way. Um but I'm not going to give it my all, I feel sad, I feel disillusioned about all of this. And then finally, we move into acceptance. And once we've moved into acceptance, we can start to move forward. Now, human beings being human beings, we'll probably go back and forth a little bit between all of them before we come to acceptance. So sometimes we'll be sad, sometimes we'll be angry. And sometimes we will just keep going around in the circle before moving forward or before we can get to a place where we can move ourselves forward and actually address the emotion and why we feel this particular way. So there they are, five steps. So people want to be heard. So give them a voice. Let them have a say. Encourage innovation. People want to be valued, which links into number one. Listen to what people have to say and encourage them to come and talk to you and actually be with them in the moment rather than on a media device or sending an email think about your the change cycle and cognitive bias i forgot to include that one i do apologize so the, the fifth one is cognitive bias so what do you believe to be true because when you believe something to be true you will live into that bias and i will give you a classic example of this i've done a lot of teaching over the last five years um i have witnessed students grow and i have experienced students change i've also witnessed a lot of assessors assessing people and when you are running a course so i'll give you an example running a two-week course a very intensive two-week course national negotiation course which was a privilege for me to be a part of and i learned a lot during that time but i would see assessors make an opinion about somebody and I went to assess, there's a big final exercise that people have to pass. I went to assess on the final exercise and I had already been given advice around the student that I was going to assess and that they weren't very good. They were the words, they are not very good. So we're bringing you in as an independent assessor to assess somebody. However, we're already going to give you a bias because we're going to tell you that they are not very good. They also gave me a binder with all their previous scores in, which means that Again, there is a hint around their belief and their cognitive bias about whether this person is any good. So they were borderline throughout the course. There was um, a suggestion that they weren't good enough to pass. And after their performance on the day, and I assessed them completely independently and thought, you know what? You're, you're, you're okay. Yeah, of course, we all need work. But actually, you have the attributes to go out and be a negotiator and the uh, girl sat next to me said so she was rubbish wasn't she and I said oh that's interesting because I have passed her and she looked at me with a bit of shock and horror and she said what do you mean and I said okay you tell me what you have seen and she listed a five probably five or six negative moments out of a half an hour performance I had made notes and written down and I had about 20 positive indicators and and still five or six 
negative or areas to work on. But because she had spent the last two weeks with that person, because she had already formed a cognitive bias about that person, in her head, she had failed that person before they even went into the assessment. And I wonder how often we do that. Whether we're teachers, whether we're parents, we form an opinion. We give people a label and we get them to live into the label in our own minds. And because we get them to live into a label in our own minds, we then create a box for them to be in. And often if you tell somebody something long enough, they actually live into the box themselves. And I found that fascinating. I really found that fascinating. And when I sat down and I explained it all, she was like, oh, yeah, actually, I can see she did that. She did this. She did this. She did that. And because she'd formed that opinion already, it was just a real eye opener, a real eye opener to her. Uh, to me, to some extent, I knew that we all live in our cognitive bias, but it was an example to me of why independent assessments, when you have people carrying out a process, are so important. And I, I wonder if teachers, you do this. Now, I'm not saying you do, and perhaps you're aware of it. But we all know people, and we all have already formed an opinion of them, and we look for the traits that fit with our opinion. And... I just found it I just found that really interesting. So as a leader, what is your cognitive bias? What do you believe to be true about somebody? And are you making it fit your belief? So there are the five things for you to take away because they all affect your communication. And listening is at the heart of all communication. And being present in the moment with the person that you're speaking to makes such a big difference, whether you're in a big organization, whether you're a scout leader a parent or a teacher it doesn't matter what relationship it is it just makes such a big difference so thank you for listening let me know how you get on this week thinking about those five areas as a leader and i look forward to speaking to you soon hi everyone nikki again if you'd like to follow me on any of my social media sites you can follow me at at nikki comms coach that's n-i-c-k-y comms coach on facebook and twitter or at my website thecommunicationcoach.co.uk or email me at info at thecommunicationcoach.co.uk Thanks for listening.